Hello and welcome to Seasoned Four. It's a podcast that seeks to encourage and inspire you on your journey. Today we are with my friend Jeremy Hyam. He has been a very successful documentary maker and he's worked with infamous and famous people throughout the country. But he's discovered that the highs of life are actually found in the simple things around us. Before we get into the main interview, let's get some context with our devotion. So today's devotion is our fifth one and it is titled, A Matter of Perspective. So in Matthew chapter five, verse six in the Passion Translation, It reads, how enriched you are when you crave righteousness, for you will be surrounded with fruitfulness and be satisfied. Jesus said, where your heart is, so you are, in Matthew chapter 6. But then there's a saying that every cloud has a silver lining. Or as a friend of mine, Jonathan, will say, for every silver lining, there's a cloud. And they're both right. But sometimes how we see things need to shift. I find using the measure of common good helpful, making sure there are no losers, but helping all people to agree to a win-win scenario. But that means compromising. But ultimately, success needs to be this. How can I help this scenario lead to life? Sometimes a death has to happen to bring rebirth. Either way, life is created. But ultimately, choose love as your motive. Jesus chose death to bring life. Humility is a form of death but it brings life. So as you look at your day, commit your ways to him and follow his lead and you will find peace. Amen. Well, we are now with uh, a friend of mine who I've got to know over the past year or so who I have um, come across um, through my brother, who um, is an artist and he's done some bits and pieces, and it's with Jeremy Hyam. And thank you, Jeremy, for being with us. And how have you been? How, how have you been since the last time that I saw you? Um, yeah, gen- generally been okay, actually. I'm, I feel like lockdown's been very kind to me indeed, and it's been a very special time. Wow. I would look back on this year with great gratitude and affection, really, Wonderful. for all the things that have happened. But one of the things I do suffer from every now and again is a kind of um, kind of emotional exhaustion or whatever. And just recently, I had one of those crashes. I've not had one for a while, and it took me out for about three days. Gosh. So that was... Um, was there a thing know, that triggered that? Or, or it was just a, it, a It's nearly always getting overstimulated, overexcited, talking too much about things I care about yeah, and not resting enough. And then suddenly, mm. boom, it's like a, 
It's like plugging a DeWalt power drill in to try and screw a screw in, which should be easy for it. And it goes, and it yeah. just, you can pull the trigger, but there's no energy to drive the screw. Yeah. And when I feel like that, I can hardly speak to anybody. Goodness. I, um, my wife um, got me a, it's funny, I don't really read, um, but my wife got me a book called Garden City by John Comer. And yeah, I've come across that one. Yeah, and, and I haven't read it. But then she knew that I wouldn't read it because I'm a rubbish reader. But she then decided to give me a whole bunch of notes from the book that she read. So then she said, right, go away. You are not coming back until you've got something. And part of the, the thing that I, that my takeaway from this was be aggressively intentional to find rest. <sighs> Just like, yeah, I get that completely. Yeah. So, so Jeremy, you have to work quite hard to get into the slack water, don't you? You do. You really, really do. Uh, yeah, because life, it, it's, yeah, I had, a, I had a really helpful conversation with someone who, who does um, uh, business coaching and they use navel and, and triangulations and then a, using a third thing as well. And it's extraordinary that if you don't keep the triangulation, you drift and you drift and you drift very, very easily. So I, I get that. So Jeremy, tell us about you. I mean, uh, I know a wee bit about you, but for the for you know for the benefit of our of our listeners, tell us your story about who you are, what you do, and what makes you what I like to say. What makes you fizz every day? What makes me fizz? Well, this is going to sound. It, it, I don't know how this will sound, but I honestly feel whenever anybody asks me who I am. The first thing that comes to mind is I feel like the very, very lucky man who got saved in his mid thirties. That, that, my life, when I see it and look back, is literally split into BC and AD. It's that defined. Wow. And I've, when people ask me what it was like becoming a Christian, the closest analogy I could give was like it was having a good, massive car crash. So, you know, in, in someone's life, if they have a car crash, it, it just changes everything from that point on, doesn't it? Yeah. And so experience going on an alpha course, I had no idea really what it was. I'd just met some really fun people at a party and they said, oh, you should come to our church. And I found this little leaflet quite badly printed in those days. And it just said alpha course. And I was like, Do you know what? I probably need that. And my God, what happened to me? on the Alpha weekend was like a good car crash. It was that violent. Um, and to give you some idea, I had a stammer for six months whenever I spoke about Jesus. Oh. And quite often I would literally keel over wherever I was in a pub. Somebody said, oh, Jeremy, I hear you've, you know, had a bit of a, a kind of a change of life. And I'd say, yeah, I've, had an extraordinary experience of Jesus and then I would literally start to stammer and then I just fall off my chair and just lie on the floor for 10 minutes literally wow. smelling the carpet and that happened that's unusual that happened for at least um yeah and sometimes I had a I remember telling somebody I had a coffee in my hand yeah and literally I went I just collapsed and the coffee went all over the floor and I was lying there could hear everything that was going on I just couldn't move. That's extraordinary. So, so, so when you it was, say it was violent, 
So, so what, what was that moment of that good car crash? Because I'm always interested why people, I'm, I'm a guy who became a Christian when I was six at Spring Harvest in the Fruit Bunch. So to meet people who have got to meet Christ on an Alpha thing and then the Holy Spirit weekend, what was that moment for you that was that, oh, this is, this is more than I realized? What was that aha moment? That, that's, that's a good way of putting it. So it got to the Alpha weekend and there was all this talk about you may not want to go away with a bunch of Christians and everything, but I was well up for it because I was looking for a girlfriend, a wife actually. Oh, wow. I was genuinely looking for a wife and I quite liked a couple of the girls in our group. So the thought of going away for a weekend yeah. and spending time with her, I was like, wow, this sounds, I was really looking forward to it. Yeah. But I, I don't think I'd had any sense of the supernatural in my life before except or having strange experience when I was younger, being able to spot uh, horse race winners in the Grand National. I never betted. I was about 16. And yeah. I just got a feeling, I think Red Rum, this horse Red Rum's going to win. And then I think this horse Boom Docker's going to win. And so for a few years, I got the winner every year. And I thought, I wonder how it, why I can do that. I was going to say, can you still do that? But anyway, do you know, I haven't tried, but <laughs> I, do, I do have strange realization of a similar kind but not to do with gambling on horses <laughs> but um so i think when when the leader of the alpha course said okay we're now going to pray for people to receive the holy spirit i was a bit like well i'm going to watch this because i was a, i'm a documentary man. i was a documentary maker then yeah and i thought i observe things like this so i stood at the side of the room and and then I thought, do you know what? There's all these people in my group that I've been journeying with each week. They're all jumping into this. So why don't I? So there was a pillar in the middle of the room. It was a hotel in Eastbourne. Very okay. unglamorous hotel. I would never have gone for any other reason. <laughs> and so I, I went to this pillar and I just stood there. And this guy came over. And he didn't even touch me, actually. He just said, Jesus, come to Jeremy. And my God, I felt a rush of force come into my body and I slid down the pillar onto the floor. That's amazing. And for 10 minutes, I couldn't move. But more significant than that, for a man who has struggled with an overactive mind, mm. I lay there and I had 100% peace in my mind. And I lay there and my mind was as still as a mill pond. Wow. And it was like, I can't think, I don't need to think, and I can't move and I don't need to move and I just lay there. Mm. And then when I got up, I was like, what was that? <laughs> I, just, I went to the gents and I looked in the mirror and my face was beaming. And I kind of knew what a beaming face was like because I had I wasn't a big drug taker, but I'd had a few lines of coke in my life, and I knew what that kind of hyper yeah. alive look can be like. So that that was it. That's extraordinary. Just from that moment on, it was spiritual rock and roll. <laughs> wow. And was it was it was it like literally seeing the world through Technicolor? It was. I remember that afternoon. Everybody went home, but I wanted to stay. Yeah. And so I just put on U2 
and I walked down the front in Eastbourne. And all I can describe, it was like warm water sloshing out the ends of my fingers as I was walking. Yeah. It was just like this extraordinary, extraordinary something. And I was just full of joy. And yeah, I rang my mum and she'd been praying for me for years and years. And she said, a man told me years ago, Jeremy, that you would fight like a salmon and then you would be thrown on the, ba- on the bank just like a salmon. And I said, well, I've been thrown on the bank. <laughs> so so this is, this is extraordinary. So, so essentially, I, I like to call these moments where your DNA was totally re- realigned. It's something. Something. I love that you call it. It was a. It was a. It was a car crash. A positive car, car crash. Um. And I. I find because your, your your world, as you as you mentioned, that you are. Uh, be helpful just to understand what you do within your career and what you do with your work because I think. The subject we've got today is about it's a new kind of perspective about and it's about craving, you know, a, a, a wanting to reveal what I would say the gold to righteousness, the gold amongst the, you know, the diamonds in the rough, the gold in, in the in the mines that haven't been hasn't been discovered. How has that then how has this that moment impacted from before you did your so so okay, let me put it into another way. Pre your moment of 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 uh, Jesus doing whatever transformational stuff you were doing it'd be interesting for people to hear about what you used to do to then how that then impacted to what you then did and what you do now because i would imagine that your perspective and your world view in those dark moments or those great moments probably well i'm not going to preempt it but just tell me some stories because this is this is this is exciting Man, this is why you're going to be so good at this podcasting thing because <laughs> because that question is just that's just a lovely question for me to answer hmm. for this reason. So, at the time that I had my Jesus experience, I was working as a documentary maker for Channel Four. Yeah, and this was my perspective. I like the glamour of this life. Yeah. And I want to win awards. I want to create great films because I want to be a great documentary maker. Mm. And even though my films were being shown in prime time on Channel 4 and getting several million viewers, yeah. I had absolutely no sense that I'd achieved anything in my life because huh. all I could see were people who were doing it in a cooler, better way than me. Now, those people that I was looking at are literally the handful of top documentary makers in the United Kingdom, or they were at the time. Mm. So I was not comparing myself with just ordinary documentary makers. <laughs> yeah, like me. <laughs> that wasn't my... I was comparing myself with the three or four auteur filmmakers in the country who would be some of the best. They'd be in the top ten in the world, probably. Yes, yes. So I had a horrible feeling of not achieving achieving anything and therefore when I went on these jobs yeah. my primary aim was to advance myself in the craft mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so what is so horrible about that 
I mean, I think I was still a lovely man. Yeah. I'm not saying that. What is so horrible about it when I look back is that, so essentially if I, so I, I either did really, really grim films. Oh, lovely. <laughs> and went and lived, you know, in very dark places with, you know, suicide victims and all that. Yeah. That was part of my life. Yeah. I found all of that overwhelming because I didn't have Christ in my life. I had no yeah. balancing hope for that. Yeah. So it used to make me feel I needed to go and save the world from this darkness. So I was either doing that or I was going, Channel 4 often hired me to go and live with difficult celebrities during a very, very key point in their life. Oh, so for okay. example, I lived with Eddie Irvine, the racing driver who was leading the Formula One World Championship with Ferrari. I went and lived with him for several weeks. Wow. Stayed in his flat, rode on his motorbike with him, you know, went out for nights with him and everything. Yes. So I was either in of those worlds. Um, but when I was in those contexts, as I say, my, when I was interviewing people, my focus was, wow, that's a good bit for the film. Wow, that's a good bit for the film, for my film. Yeah. yeah. Because I just had this longing that just would not be met. I can assure you it was, I was a striver of strivers. <laughs> I am still, I am still struggling to try less, to try less in life. That's, that's a good confession. Yeah. But um, it's like, yeah. So what has changed is just to me from my own experience, just beyond imagining. Because what I feel God has done is he has simply shown me the beauty within people Mm. companies mm. endeavors of all kinds yeah he's shown yeah. me the beauty within prisoners within heroin addicts within wealthy people yes hugely wealthy people yes and all i do now is whenever i'm invited into a company or an organization or whatever yeah i just wander in very calmly i don't take any notes or questions i don't need to and inside my heart, I just go, God, who is this? Show me who it is. Give me the perspective. Yeah. Give me your perspective. And yeah. what is it they're doing? They're making toasters. They're making clothes. They're running a charity. It doesn't really matter. Actually, it doesn't matter at all. Yeah. And God, I, it's unconscious now. I'm so used to it. God shows me not yeah. only that I'm sitting opposite, an exceptional person each time, but yep. also this person's endeavor, even if it's just making plastic sheeting, this person's endeavor is benefiting society and they have forgotten it. Uh, so I'll give you an example. I go into a really filthy, ugly factory in the north of England and it's porter cabins the offices that, because they're doing a bit of rebuilding, there's porter cabins, neon lit, filing cabinets overflowing with paper. And I go in and I sit with this CEO, he looks exhausted. Mm. And um, it's just all ugly and fallen and just unappealing. Yes. I say, tell me, tell me what it is you do. I mean, I've had a look at your website, but what do you do? Mm. And he said, well, we make, you know, porous, non-porous membrane, da-da-da. And I'm like, okay, tell me more. He yeah. said, well, basically, it's an interface between da-da-da. And I'm like, so what does it do? Yeah. 
And he said, well, basically it's, it's used in hospitals for sheeting on the patient. I'm like, come on. He said, well, basically, and after a few more questions, I realized that this man and his team every day help patients around the world not to get bed sores because the quality of that sheeting allows the urine to go through, but not the negative things that attack the skin. And I just said to him, if it wasn't for you guys doing this job with care, all these people would have bed sores. And he went, yeah, I guess, yes, they would. I felt like I wanted to stand up and shake the man's hand. Yeah, yeah. But I've had this experience in banks, insurance companies, businesses that the world looks at and says, oh yeah, they're just greedy, money-grabbing people. I've, ch I've had the same experience with politicians. I spent, I spent five days with Nick Clegg when he was deputy prime minister. Gosh. And um, literally I went on the train with him. I was in his private office the night he, he okayed the bombing of um, the, the sort of Islamic State attacks. You know, I was right in the heat of it. And when I just listened to him, I came away in awe of the man, mm. not because of his fame, but I was just like, I can't believe people slag you off relentlessly for misjudging something here or misjudging you. I couldn't live one day like you live it, the amount of energy and everything you put into it. And so this is what my life is now. It's just, <laughs> I, get, I get very excited about people. And um, the, the, the word perspective, I'm very interested in words. Yeah, tell me more. And the word perspective comes from perspicere, meaning to, to be able to see through or look through, hence the product perspex. Mm. And, and I'm possibly jumping the gun. Should I, should I wait for you to ask about no. that? No, no, there's no plan. What were you going to ask just out of interest? I was just going to... The, the thing that's really interesting to me is that what you've, um, <laughs> it made me laugh actually a lot inside. It's like, I'm interviewing a guy who interviews people professionally. <laughs> that's stupid. <laughs> Why should I do that? And you're very good at it. <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, uh, uh, but um, the thing that just, just really stood out from what you are doing is that you're reminding of the goodness and the godness of what people are doing. It, it, there's a sense of that people just get deluged with life and um, whatever it is, and they f forget actually why they need to do what they do. Uh, th there's another thing which I find is fascinating, and I think it's really interesting about, you know, we were talking about uh, uh, being exhausted, and, and sometimes exhaustion comes from because we don't have enough people around us just to say, you know what, you're all right. And that sense of people need to be heard, um, that, uh, uh, that they, they belong, they have value, and they have worth. And I was, I was on a, a Zoom just earlier. Um, I'll just tell you my story, it's ridiculous. I know, you're an interviewer, that's why. <laughs> um, and uh, my, I work, as you know, I work with Cinnamon Network for a few days a week, and uh, I got some cards from uh, uh, a couple of my, my, my bosses, and they were just telling me, thanks, 
you're amazing you know and it, this one thing it just said it just said uh thank you for your dedication and energy and trailblazing that you bring to cinnamon and the many others we know that god has given you a mixture of rare and exceptional gifts that may be uh, may at times be misunderstood i pray that god gives you the holy spirit fueled resilience beyond that that the world will be transformed by you i was like oh and, and, and that for me is, is that just says i'm going to keep on going what you do is what what i would call paracletes so uh, the holy spirit is there to be encourager the mentor the coach the, the guy standing uh, at the at the edge of the track saying keep on going you but what you do you do it in such a delicate way talk to me about perspective how do you how do you start to, because you see there's one thing being an observer but then how do you then do you then have the opportunity to actually celebrate that person well i suppose we get an opportunity to do it by making a film about what they're doing mm. um so we tend to make 90 second films to enable organizations to be understood for who they really are that's what we say we do. And so instead of, I don't really believe that companies have to promote themselves all the time. Mm. They just need to be understood for who they are. Mm. And normally who they are is, is more than impressive enough. Mm. And in fact, most of what makes them unique and special is the stuff they don't put on their website anyway. We have to go digging for that. Mm. The stuff they put on their website is all the shouty stuff. Yeah. But if you've ever been to a dinner party and have somebody talk relentlessly about themselves, it's only when you ask a question about something behind that that you think, wow, I wish you told me that. <laughs> that. That helps me. You know, that makes you I'm so much more interested now. But, so, um, so what's your just, driver? Can I just say one more thing on the yeah, point yeah. you made earlier? Yeah, yeah. I have a theory which is not my own, but... I have a theory the only way to slow the world down or a striver down yeah. to, is to violently and, and <clears throat> authentically affirm them. Hmm. Because I believe that one reason a lot of us try so darned hard and we just can't stop trying is we've never really heard the voice which says, you're amazing. You, You've, you're already more than enough, my friend. Yeah. You can turn the volume down. Yeah. You can ease your foot off the gas. Mm. Mm. Um, it was only after I had became a Christian and was asked to talk and do talks here and there because of my filmmaking, I got invited yeah. to speak in places. Yeah. It was only after I got saved that I realized I had too much to say. I'd had too many amazing experiences and people were sitting there like, this guy's amazing. And I'm like, well, nobody ever told me that when I was working for Channel 4. I wish they had. <laughs> so what is your, because you know, you, you mentioned earlier about perspective and I'm interested to find out about what, what that actually means, but what is the driver behind what you do why are you not a, why are you why do you do that and not be a builder or an accountant or you know graphic designer or, or a, a, a tour guide why do you do what you do what is the driving motivation 
you know, who knows what the driving motivation is, but I think our deepest motivation tends to come from the tragedy that we've experienced and therefore can see in others. Hmm. And so I feel one of the tragedies I can see in the world is the under-celebrated ordinary person, an ordinary endeavor. Yeah. It's, it breaks my heart properly. Yeah. So, you know, all this language about, oh, the effing builders are this, the effing builders are a week late, and they've, oh, they... Hmm. You have any idea how hard it is to build a house <laughs> in the real world? Yeah. When you've got four other houses you're building, for difficult clients and difficult architects and yes. endless government spec and the guys you hire to work with you have got emotional issues because they're humans too. The way I see the world now, if I meet a builder, I want to bend my knee in front of him and honor him for his extraordinary ability mm -hmm. to build a house in the modern world and build house after house after house after house that never leaks mm. and so and the biggest heartbreak of all which is even hard to talk about is going into a prison which has been my longing for years i pray to god i lived in brixton for 15 years and I was, every time i walked past the prison i was like god get me in there please no wow Goodness. And all I wanted to do was go in and just hug prisoners. I wanted to hug prisoners, basically, and tell them, I, I think, you know, I just want to hug you and say, I just wanted to, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but nothing happened. And every time I tried, nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. Mm. And then suddenly, it's funny how these things happen. Suddenly, boom, a door opened. Mm. And um, we've been going, we spent a year weekly going in and meeting with groups of prisoners. And, oh, my word, oh, my word, what gorgeous people. Give me some examples. It was, oh, I just used to sit there with them all. We maybe took a few friends in. There may be 15 of us in the room. Yeah. And I'd just go quiet. The room would go quiet and everyone's shifting in their chairs. And I'm like, God, what's going on in this room now? What is it? Yeah, and I feel the spirit say, "See that man to the left there? He's just walked in and sat down." Yeah, poetry. So I just turned to him. I say, "Oh, do you, do you mind me? What's your name, by the way?" He said, oh, "I'm Keith." I'm, Keith, do you um, you like writing? You? He said, "Yeah, yeah." I, I, you know, I said, "Like what? Like poems or songs?" So he said, "Yeah, well, you know, they're not very good, but I write poems." Great. I feel the spirit say, just ask him to tell you the one he's written. And I'm like, so, so what have you just written this week? He said, I've just written a poem about the moon. I said, why is that? And he said, because my, I've just been moved in my cell. I can't see the moon anymore. Oh my goodness. He said, it breaks my heart. And so we're in this prison with all these people who supposedly are criminals. Yeah, yeah. Well, what God is showing us is that these people are just beautiful, crushed, crushed. Yeah, totally. Beautiful people. Yeah. But it's just sometimes when we come out, 
you know, in the early days, the volunteers would cry when we got out of the prison gate because their, their hearts had fallen, fallen in love with these men. And it seemed so tragic. We were going down to the pub now to drink Camden ale and have a burger. And they were going back to a little, little tiny little cell. Little room. So these, these are the things, you know, I, I, motivation is not something I struggle with. It's slowing, keeping the, keeping the, the, the horse that Ray did is, is what I struggle with. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, because you see, I, it's, you are a, a paradigm dichotomy where you are this, um, you, you say you are hyper-creative, your mind's going a million times miles an hour, and yet the times that we've connected, there's a incredible peace, incredible calmness, and I would say, and I, what I, dare I say, an intentional slowing down of a normal conversation. It's much more considered. How do you do that? Because you see, that there's something behind that which is incredible. Uh, and and wonderful and tell me that what what's what led you from that to that man you you are you're so <laughs> these questions are just so helpful you see is it funny that one of the things god showed me is that the question answer thing when it's done in the holy spirit is actually a healing thing it's an enjoyable communion of parts but it's actually yeah. a healing it's naturally therapeutic yeah it's a form of love yeah and uh, so that's another really helpful question for me to answer so um my overdrive was so intense mm. um i had no idea how emotionally sick i was when i became a christian at 35. right okay yeah yeah i, I literally because i've never experienced living as a peaceful free man in christ yes i, I mean I'll give an example. I would be walking in Soho where we did a lot of our editing. Mm, mm. And if I bumped into a person I knew, I could very well have a panic attack on the spot. Really? And it was a sudden feeling that I suddenly needed to go into top gear to engage with them. Oh, have all the answers and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Just be, be full on me. And if I wasn't in that place, mm, mm. I would get a panic. Like I can't suddenly be... Jez, it was, I, was, mm. I was nicknamed Jez then. Mm. I bumped into Matthew, but <gasps> what is the expectation? Mm. And I would just, I would just panic and I'd make an excuse. Say, oh my gosh, I've forgotten. I've got a, my train. Oof, and I'd just run away embarrassed. Yeah. And so I was using alcohol every night and other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to dampen this. But when, when I got saved, it was like the, all of that, all of that kind of um, medication came off. And so very gradually I had to recognize, and I think God revealed it to me slowly that I just, I had a kind of thoroughbred horse mind that was out of control. Mm, mm. And I remember about six months in, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to do everything mm. for God, just the same drive. You know, I went within the first year, I went to heroin addicts, rubbish dumps. I couldn't get, close enough to set up the Brixton Kids Club, you know, on a rough estate. I was like, yeah. And um, so I ended up in the pastor's office just blubbing. I said, I'm totally exhausted. 
Yes. And he said, my friend, you are going to have to learn to husband your strength. And I didn't realize that that would be a 20 year and more journey. Wow. That um, this man who God had plucked out of the world had virtually no idea how to rest or play, actually. Oh, that's interesting. That even my play, I went to boarding school. Yeah, yeah. It was me all too. about being in the teams, it was intense, it was exciting. Yeah. But if somebody came along of a weekend and said, Do you want to have a bit of a knock of tennis on this crappy old court in a bit of cup torn tennis shoes with some old balls? I'd be like, Why on earth would you want to do that? <laughs> I've I'm a I'm trained to I'm a trained racehorse, mate. I don't I don't yeah. go for a, a hack through the forest. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I felt God show me almost over several years, I am going to teach you to play, my friend. To have fun. And I have had so much fun learning so uh, I had this idea to set up the Wild Golf Academy. Oh, tell me. Because I nearly became I nearly became a professional golfer. One day, I felt the spirit say, almost like prompt me to go on our back lawn, and put a golf ball on a tee and just whack it out over the fields. <laughs> and the only thing I realized I was not to do was I was not to give a damn where the ball went for the first time in 20 years. Oh, that's a joy. And so I started shouting, yeah, and I just whacked these balls. <laughs> uh, and I can hit a golf ball nearly 300 yards. And... Oh my gosh. And so I started to realize that all of the joy in my golf had been squeezed out because like 90% of golfers I observe, they are so focused on technical accuracy and the score and their handicap, they've forgotten how lucky they are to be wandering around with a bunch of friends <laughs> whacking a white ball and sipping lager, you know, from a golf buggy. And so rediscovering the joy of golf. I, I'm unbeatable at golf now. Do you know why? Because I don't give a damn if I win or lose. <laughs> You're always a winner. <laughs> always a winner. I love that. So, because the, the thing that, that, that's really interesting um, is, so, so before your moment and yet, uh, when you had that encounter with God and that, the unraveling of, 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 of jazz, and the reconstructing of Jeremy, there was uh, a moment. Uh, if, if I was, if this was right, is that you had the panic attacks because you felt that if you turned up unprepared, you wouldn't be good enough. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah. Okay. I had two personas. One was fully alive me, yeah. usually with some alcohol inside me. Yeah. I wasn't, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't crazy alcoholic, but I was certainly medicating. Yes. When I'd had a couple of pints, I was just full on me, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was it was great. I could chat to anybody yeah. and make people laugh and everything. But with a hangover the next day, at nine o'clock in the morning, walking to the studio yeah. or something, somebody walked up and expected to meet the same guy. They were going to get a shock. Oh, yeah. Because I had the shakes. I was low yeah. in confidence, not feeling great. Yes. And it was a horrible, horrible thing trying to hide that very broken self, particularly in the media world. Yeah. Horrible. 
So well, how did you then rediscover? Yeah, exhausting, exhausting. I mean, you, you can't keep at that pace. How did you then move from that sense of misidentity to rediscovering your true identity, your true self? What, what were the moments there that people, sayings, scenarios, what helped there? Well, um, I know a lot of people have had disappointing or negative experiences of church but yeah. my first 10 years was not like that at all yeah i went to a church called st mary's in brineston square and it was almost like tailor-made for me it was full of people a bit like me yeah. created in film and music and everything yeah yeah and my gosh i have never met such lovely people it was yeah. like being it was like a warm bath after an icelandic trek oh, and good. that bath I'm going to mix metaphors badly now. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> it, I was just bathed. I was bathed in kind, good, lovely, affirming people for several years. I was almost engulfed with those people. And I remember making a film for Delirious, the Christian band Delirious. Yeah, yeah, I know. And the bass player, John, he and I became good friends. And one day we were walking around a potato field. I've been saved four or five years. And I said, John, you have no idea what it meant to me to meet you guys early on. I'd never met people as lovely as you. I'd never met anybody as I'd met so many famous people. Yeah. I'd never met a more beautiful, famous yeah, character yeah, yeah. than Matt Redman. Couldn't believe, couldn't mm. believe what a lovely gentleman he was. Mm. And I was rabbiting on about this. And he said, Jeremy, you're one of those now. And I was like, what? He said, you're you're one of those lovely people now. Come on. And I was like, yeah, I was, ooh. And so I also had quite a few older men in my life. Christian Mann as a wonderful MP and also associate vicar, Barry Kissel. And these guys said, let's go out for dinner. They took me out for dinner. We went and had fish and chips and a pint. And they were like, Tell me about your life. Tell me your Tell me. And every time I said anything, they went, yeah. that's wonderful. That's amazing. And I, I was like, nobody's ever cared about my life like you guys do. And that was, oh my gosh. I love I that. I have loved, loved being a Christian and becoming one. I have that loved so it. Good. It's harder now. Is I'm it? in a Why? different phase Why? of the journey now. Well, I, it's too big a gear change. I can't shift <laughs> quite that quick. But, um, <laughs> um, that first 10 years was just heaven. I was suffering a lot still, yep. but I was being treated as if in heaven. That's extraordinary. So essentially what you're saying, good people, caring people, kindness helped you yeah. to discover you, you, what I call uh, you, your humanness was actually a superhumanness, which was, uh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. Christians forget how lovely they are. They have no, they forget how amazing they are. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Christian people, by and large, are extraordinarily good askers of questions. 
they are naturally interested in other people. Isn't that interesting? They don't slag people off. Most of the time, that's true. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was like, you guys are... I remember a very difficult girl had moved out of the house I owned in Brixton. She was a tenant before I was a Christian. And she was difficult. And when she left, a new girl moved in who was a Christian. And I was telling her about this girl who'd moved out. She was difficult, I said, really difficult. And this girl said, let's pray. And I was like, really? She prayed for the girl who'd moved out, who she'd never met. And she played, prayed a really beautiful prayer for this lady. I, I had never known loveliness like that on the earth. And I was surrounded by it. So this is an amazing example of a person who had a perspective about people, irrespective of their relationship, where this woman wanted to bless them, which is really, really unusual. So, so Jeremy, look, talk to me about you. You're a man who has um, carried the whole notion of perspective as part of your DNA with what you do. But perspective comes from a point of seeing things through a different way. So can you talk to me about what that means to you? What does perspective mean to me? I'm not sure how to come at that. I think one of the difficulties that I have is that I feel like, and people have told me, that I, I have a quite a reasonably strong prophetic sense of things. Hmm. That as soon as I got saved, I began to see things about people, which happened in a remarkable way initially. It was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could suddenly see things. But also, in some way, it, it means I tend to see what is not there in every aspect of life, which is difficult. And other people who have this kind of perspective yeah, yeah. will know it's difficult. And I've had yeah. help from people. So if I look at education... I see what's not there. Yeah. I feel like I see what is not there. I see these beautiful young people trapped in a sweaty classroom, yeah. listening to one person telling them stuff. They don't necessarily have an appetite to learn. Yeah. I see the tragedy in that. And therefore, part of me wants to reform it. Yeah. The trouble is, yeah. I see the same absence in the House of Commons where you've got all these amazing people shouting at each other, not listening and not encouraging each other. Yeah. And, like, and I get this feeling, I need to reform that. Mm. And then I, now I'm experiencing the goodness of marriage. I see so many people whose marriages are full of bickering and putting down and undermining each other. And I'm like, I need to reform that. And yeah. so uh, one of the difficulties I have, I feel, is I see what is not, where the kingdom of God is not. Yes, yes. And that is, that is hard. Yeah. And only with the advice and mentoring of other people of that nature within the church, within the mm. body of Christ, have I realized that it goes with the territory. Yeah, that's true. And that one of... 
one of my main roles in the world is to watch and pray and spot when the kingdom breaks out, to spot it and proclaim it to people and say, that's the kingdom breaking out in education. That's mm. the kingdom breaking out in politics. Mm. Oh, there it is again. See in that restaurant where you went over and asked to see the head waiter yeah. and he came out tense, ready to be criticized. And you thanked him so much for the meal you just had. And he, and he's, the kingdom has just broken out. Yes. So it's, it's like, I feel like I have a reasonably good sense of what the kingdom of God is like. And therefore the absence of it on the earth is hard to live with. <laughs> but I'm learning that it is not my job to reform the world. Yeah. But to gently and clearly and boldly say, this is what I see. I see the same for, for ch church life as well and Christian life. I feel like, I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not saying I see it correctly, but I feel like I see it. Yeah, yeah. Christian life and church life is, is, is full of dichotomies where it's, as you say, that they're full of good people, but sometimes not in the great environments. Or there are bad situations that people that re react in a bad way because of bad, poor experiences and they overlay because they sometimes are walking with hurts. Sometimes they're, they're walking with, with, with injuries that then project onto, and sometimes it's not great. And sometimes there's, there's, there's disaster that happens. And I've seen that many, many times. Um, th there's a, a, a phrase that I use where it's when there is, you know, from a movement from order to disorder to reorder, when we're in, in that moment of disorder, rejoice, be be of good cheer, because you know that things have to be reassembled to something that's better. Uh, and I think that's okay, because it, what that really does, it reflects on the fact that something that was before wasn't fit for purpose for where you are now. And that's that's fundamental in the evolution of of individuals, of groups, of communities, of of regions, you know, uh, and nations. So, so that I, I totally feel your tension. But then you are also a very a hands-on, practical person. And tell me a bit more about um, you where you are based right now, because you're based in North Kent uh, with your wife. You've got some workspaces and with some plans to do bits and pieces tell me this tell me uh, uh what that looks like and, and how that is going to grow and develop and what does success actually look like carrying perspective like this okay so um one of the hardest things when i became a christian was i i, I was addicted to scale an impact. So yeah. 2 million viewers for one of the documentaries I made was quite disappointing <laughs> because somebody else got 3.8 and yeah. And yeah. So I was used to what felt like big things. And yeah. when I got saved, because I worked in TV, I quite quickly got to speak on platforms. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is great. Scale, platform, thousand people listening. Here we go. 
Yes. And yes. Very gradually. Very gradually. It was as if God kindly dismantled me bit by bit. <laughs> and, and it went on and on and on and on until I was like, I was using the F word in God's face. How much more are yeah. you going to dismantle? Yeah, I get that. So everything got smaller and even platforms that I had gradually disappeared. Yeah, yeah. Until, and then I thought, I got a feeling I was to go towards the Church of England. I got turned down. I loved the whole process of the going for ordination, but I got turned down. Oh, and I wow. was like, God, what are you doing? <laughs> I was going to go in and reform your church for you. And you <laughs> shut that down. And so I went from London media, millions of viewers. Yes. Big, massive scale ideas. Yeah. To tiny little village, Edenbridge. Yeah. Most people have never heard of it. No, no. We'd run out of money. We'd run yeah. out of money. Yeah. I've been turned down by the Church of England. We're in a crappy old Astra. Yeah. And in an ex-council house. Yes, yes. With no money, 30 yeah. grand in debt. Yes, And yes. I wrote a poem. I wrote something to my wife saying, I don't need this from you. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. But help me, help me get going. So I can use my gifts in life. Wow. I was, it was almost like God took me right back to the ground. In wow. fact, I went to a conference and I, I asked this guy, so what do you do for a living? And he said, I, I grow roses. And I felt the spirit sort of just prompt me. Like there's a clue here, Jeremy. Yeah. There's a clue. Ask him about the roses. And I said, do you mind me asking, how do you get roses to grow? And he said, well, the way I do it is I get the secateurs and I prune them back to the soil. And when he said that, I was, oh, I was like, <laughs> I was like, you have no idea how much you've just helped me, my friend. Oh. And, and so I felt that God was pruning me back to the soil. Yeah. And it was properly ball breaking. Yeah, because it crushed every bit of me that wanted, longed to do big things. Yeah, yeah, and it honestly, it just it went on forever. <laughs> you say and, with a you say with a smile until, <laughs> until I started to get a huge amount of joy from one person a badly made cup of coffee, a conversation in a back corner of a little village started to mean the world to me. Mm. And I started to see the beauty in the small endeavor, the one thing done well. I got an allotment down here, which was a big part of my relearning. And I felt God was showing me, took me back to the Garden of Eden. And he's like, Jeremy, never mind the scale. Just let's tend some vegetables together for a year. Let's slow down and let's grow some vegetables together. And I started to meet the allotment owners and hear about how they approached it all. And I felt God was just showing me there is a different way to live, my friend. I love that. And um, so I feel completely liberated from scale now. In fact, I will often resist scale. Yeah. Somebody will say, oh, let's roll it out. And I'll be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'll be the one who stops the conversation. Whoa, 
Never mind the rollout. Let's try and do it with one prisoner, one person. Let's, let's spend three years seeing if we can help one prisoner actually yes. get to where you say you want to help millions. And let's do that carefully and well. And, and yeah. so I've, what I feel God wants me to do at the moment is he wants me to live out in every moment of my life what he's taught me. Hmm. Not to shout about it, not to wish everyone else was doing it, but he wanted me to live it out inside as well as outside in my little life, the way I am with my children, my wife, my neighbor, the way I am with the news agent, the way I am with the annoying person who rings and offers me something I don't want. <laughs> it's almost like God saying, never mind a scale, Jeremy. I want you to get this right. Yeah. And so I gain huge pleasure now from God showing me yet another thing that I could just, just come on, we can do that better. And um, one day I was sorting screws in my garage. I'd only been saved a few years and I suddenly thought, I can't believe Jesus died on the cross for me to be in this garage sorting bloody screws out. And I took the screw into the kitchen and um, I burst into tears. And I felt that God was saying to me, Jeremy, I care about every single screw in your garage. And I am as happy to be in there sorting those screws out as, as I am to be with you on some grand mission abroad. And it was like, can you imagine the liberty that came from that? Oh, my goodness. Oh it was my. like, Jeremy, I, I just, I'm happy to be with you. We don't need to do big things. Mm, Every mm. little thing you do with me, you have no idea how I could magnify that. <laughs> so I'm interested in smallness that God might one day magnify. I'm hugely interested in. I love in, that. In, let's, let's get these. Let's do it well with this person. You know? So good. And I can't tell you, uh, it takes a lot of pressure off. (laughs) (laughs) For me, what that says is that God is saying, look, just be yourself. There's this authenticity. But the thing that also screams is it screams out, sings out, is a joyous cacophony of, of wonderfulness is the fact is that you're finding things to be grateful in the common things. And that I just... There's an addiction, isn't there, to uh, the big and the, and the great, and you've you've tasted it, and it doesn't taste well. You know, it actually makes you sick. And it, it's a lack of understanding of the extraordinary leveraging power that God has mm. to take a tiny act of kindness. Mm. Uh, the, the day I learned that, I was trying to take a shed down. And I was smashing it with a sledgehammer and it was just bouncing back. Smash, bounce. And I was totally exhausted. And I just, I could feel the spirit saying, Jeremy, this is not working, is it? But I kept hammering like we do, you know, keep hammering. Oh, get it this time. Holy Spirit, just be quiet a minute. Let me get this shed shed down. Then we can, then we can talk. And suddenly I'm like, okay, I give in. I give in. Yeah. I put the sledgehammer down. 
Yeah. I went into the garage and I found a long metal pole and I slid it in between the floor and the wall. And I literally did that with my hand and the whole of the side fell off. <sighs> and I felt God was showing me it's all about my leverage, Jeremy, of your small acts of diligence. And so I've become really interested in making sure the bit I do yeah. is as good as it can be. <laughs> I love that. I um, love that. So there is a kind, of, I probably do put myself under pressure, but... But yeah, I, I love it. I love it. So do you, are you, are you much of a reader? Every detail matters. Yeah, it does. So you, do you do much reading or, or, or things that are a source of inspiration for you? Yeah. Oh, are you? So, all right. So give me some examples of books that you would recommend to, to our listeners that you'd go, yeah, so that's... Probably amazing. if I recommend this book, most people listening would go, oh, for goodness sake, we read that last year. <laughs> but I'm really enjoying um, Dominion at the moment. What's that? See, I have not heard of that. Um, Who's it by? I can't believe I've forgotten the surname of the author, Tom. Okay. Tom something. All right. Well, I'll find it. Yeah. That's so. That's a bit of early dementia. I, <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I'm actually very aware of the guy, but his um, his name's just gone out of my mind. But um, what's it about? In a nutshell, I never knew what happened before and around the Bible. I never knew about all classical antiquity, the Greeks, the Romans, all that context, yeah. the worship of their gods, yeah. the worship of emperors, temples for emperors, sexual debauchery, yeah, yeah, gorging, yeah. Yeah, hanging, yeah. Lynching, genocide, all that. Yeah. Genocide, just violent, going alongside a lot of civic order. Yes, um, yes. And so the thought of a carpenter in sandals wandering onto the scene claiming to be divinity incarnate yes and yes the founder, yes the founder of the cosmos was just comic. yeah i mean it was already strange reading it in the bible yeah yeah uh, difficult for the jews to get their head around who yeah, the heck's yeah. this yeah but in the context of how gods were worshipped i'd never seen that before and so I'm reading about Paul, the apostle at the moment, had the ridiculous job. Yeah. The yeah. equivalent, the equivalent of walking around England saying, by the way, don't drive on the left hand side anymore and don't obey traffic lights. Oh my god. We'd all goodness. go, lock him up, he's mad. But yeah, he was the equivalent of saying, switch your electricity off. Would it is not valid anymore? <laughs> and so the, fact that, the fact that he got any traction yeah yeah and persisted it is the christian faith and the G, the coming of jesus is so monumentally ridiculous yeah in yeah. the context in which it was birthed and this book tom roberts is it no idea i'll i'll, 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 I'll no don't be very embarrassed i'll find it and I'll put, dominion, it, I'll put a link on, on our website helping me yeah, and his his basic argument in the book is, um, he's not writing. He's writing to the world about this. He's not a Christian book at all. Goodness! But he's basically saying, uh, if you want to trace most of modern life yeah. back to its origins, you'll get back to Jesus. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, 
he's saying the whole, the whole, so many systems in the world are as they are because of Jesus and his teachings and the, the birth of the church. I mean, if you take hospitals, yep. schools, yeah, you know, whatever parliamentary system, yes, yes, democracy, yes. the uh, you know habeas corpus, yes, I mean, yes, on and on and on and on, and it's the idea of the innate value of a of an unspecial person that you would send the SAS in for a newborn child, and you know we had a guy driving around Edenbridge the other night, crashing into buildings and setting cars on fire. What? But one thing you can be sure of is if he hurt himself, he would be taken with great care to accident and emergency and given the best service money could buy. And that's extraordinary. You know, that's, yeah. That's, that's grace that we've got used to. But that's what the book's about. I love that. I love that. Well, look, we'll, put, we'll definitely put a link on our, on our website uh, about that, just, just so people can find that book. And then are there... You may not want to, but if people wanted to actually get in contact with you, with with what you're doing, with um, your with your work, with your documentaries and filming, what's the best way that people can get hold of you? Um, just just email me. My personal email is jeremyheim at mac.com. Okay, jeremyheim. And if they mac. if they want to just write to me person to person, yes, I'm happy with that. Okay. And if they want to contact us through the company, it's www.higham.co. Nothing on the end of the co. It was a mistake getting that <laughs> URL. But we couldn't afford the .com. We got the .co. We have to spell it every time. People say, oh, .co.uk. I was like, no, .co. Higham.co. I love it. That's so good. That's so good. Well, look, Jeremy, thank you so much. I, I appreciate You've given me some of your time just to share some really wonderful stories. And um, uh, I'm no doubt you will get a bunch of emails where people just wanting to hear, because I just think the rhythms that you've got now, there's, 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 there's a wealth of imparting of wisdom that people would want to glean from that. And in the same sense that you have um uh, you were w one of my key inspirations of starting this this amazingly ridiculous oh, it's not ridiculous it's a it's a good thing as podcast um it, I, I wondered if whether or not when you write down your your journey and the lessons and the nuggets of gold whether or not you would actually put it to pen to paper and talking about actually and this is this is something that you might find a benefit i think that would be really good bless you Bless you, man. It's been a complete pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. We'll catch up soon. Bless you. Catch up soon. Bye-bye. Well, I just want to say thank you for joining us today on this podcast. And uh, for any references that were made throughout, be it groups or books or whatever, um, do come and visit us on seasoned4.life and there we'll also have other details about all the other podcasts that we have done and will be doing also. Take care and we'll catch up soon. <laughs>